credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Vitruvian Man podcast, a podcast centered around self-mastery. I'm your host, Zach Schenken. Today, I wanted to talk about something extremely powerful. Um, The topic at large, I suppose, is perspective, but specifically reframing, mental reframing, and how we can view circumstances differently to decide how reality or life happens to us, or rather for us, which I'll go into later. I think oftentimes we can become extremely identified with the circumstances that are happening to or for us in our life. And it can curate and create this kind of, this sense of helplessness. I got dumped. They left me. I got fired. That person was mean to me today. It's these kind of identifiers with both the circumstance as well as how we identify ourselves. And this is a topic that perspective and reframing, I'm going to try to keep central to this topic, but it's very interconnected with a lot of stuff that I think about, have talked about on this podcast, we'll talk about in the future. So if it goes a little bit tangential, just try your best to follow the path. But like I was saying, I think we become, and no one's above it, I'm speaking on it because I certainly am constantly working to curate a sense of control over my reality and defining the circumstances around me in a positive light and reframing it positively. I think to start off before I go into a story that I want to share we can look at the word reframing. So everything that is our reality comes to us through our perspective. We observe and experience reality through this imaginary frame. So there is something that is outside of us, all of our circumstances, other people, the things around us, but those things are only actualized when they pass through what you can imagine as a frame, the shot of a movie, a picture frame, just a hollow square, right? And so choosing the frame in which we see life can decide for us the movie that we see. There are lots of examples. In I think film is a good example because when you're very close up to a subject, you're hyper-focused on one thing, and you can get a lot of detail there, but you lack context to the shot, or you can think of really wide shots You don't have a ton of granularity, but you get to see the larger perspective of whatever it is that a videographer or filmmaker is trying to show you. Life is very much the same way, and if we decide what our frame is and constantly set the frame as we move through life, it can make for us a much more beautiful film of life, if you will, and also be able to help us escape moments of anxiety, moments of worry, doubt, fear, because we get caught up in the tightness of a frame or overwhelmed by the breadth of a frame. Choosing how we want to frame the things that are happening to us is important. So hopefully I didn't lose you on the loose analogy there of the frame, but I think the idea is communicated. Imagine life coming to you through a frame. But before I begin, I wanted to share a story, an old story that was written. I don't know when it came to me through Alan Watts. And then I'll share a few stories from my life of examples of this. I first heard this story this past year when I listened to the podcast with Shia LaBeouf and John Bernthal, which I highly recommend. One of my favorite podcasts of the whole year. Very fascinating 
both of them very fascinating people and honestly just a really cool conversation between the two of them nothing particularly directed shia was specifically speaking on his life experience and some recent life events but i think it was a broad conversation on life and pretty interesting but regardless i'd like to start out with the story of the chinese farmer I've taken the story he told, rewrote it slightly more narratively, so here it goes. Many years ago in the hills of ancient China, there was a Chinese farmer and his son. They were radish farmers and toiled long, hard days in the sun, picking radishes from the ground. You see, they did not own the land that they worked. It belonged to the state, so they only received 30% of what they produced. The farmer and his son could barely subsist off of what they had, but they worked hard and they made do. One day, the son was working hard at the land. By this time, the father had become too old to be bent down in the field picking radishes, so he watched from the house. In a brief moment, while the son was distracted down in the dirt, tugging at a particularly pesky radish, the horse that was by him was startled, bucked, and took off for the hill. The son reached for the reins, but was too slow, and the horse disappeared over the hilltop. Distraught, the son dropped his basket to the earth and ran inside to alert his father. With weakness in his voice, wiping tears from his eyes, the son looked to his father. Father, it's over. We're done. I looked away for just one moment. Calm down, son. Tell me what happened. Matsu, the name of their beloved horse, ran off while I was picking and I wasn't fast enough to stop him. Father, winter fast approaches and without Matsu, I can't turn the hard soil to our crop. We'll starve. This is a nightmare. He could barely get the words out. He was choking back tears streaming down his face. The father, unconcerned, looked at his son and said, Son, I don't know what this is. I can't be sure. A few days passed, and while the son was picking through the last remaining radishes in the field, he looked up across the hillside, and he saw Matsu crest the hilltop. Behind him, forty wild stallions in chase. The horses ran down the hill and into the paddock, and the son hastily locked the paddock behind him. He was overwhelmed with joy and ran inside to his father. Father, you won't believe it. God has blessed us beyond belief. Matsu returned and brought with him forty wild stallions, bigger and stronger than I've ever seen. We can sell just one and double our land. We're rich. A miracle. God is good. What a blessing. The father, unplessed, he looked back at his son and said to him, I'm not sure what this is, son. I can't be sure. A few days passed and the son began the process of domesticating the horses. But the son knew very little of horses. He was a humble radish farmer after all. One of the stallions was particularly stubborn and it did not take kindly to the harness the son was trying to put on his back. The horse reared back and bucked. Snap! The quiet valley air was split with the wailing of the sun. Concerned, the father and all the townspeople rushed to the stable to find his son down in the mud, writhing in pain. His leg had been crushed. Father, it hurts, he called out. The mothers of the village bandaged his leg the best they could and sat him in a chair to rest at home, but it was badly wounded. The closest city with a doctor was three days' journey by horseback, and the father had no money to take his son for help. He was also too weak and old to make the journey on horseback, and certainly too weak to tend the fields alone. One of the mothers of the village approached the father. I'm so sorry for your son. He may never walk again. The gods are cruel, crippling your boy, leaving your fields unattended. How will you feed yourselves? You'll surely starve. What a shame. Calmly, the father looked back at her. I don't know what this is. I can't be sure. Two more days passed, and the son is still in tremendous pain. His father is sitting with him and trying to console him. As he was unwrapping his son's bandages, the house began to shake, with a low rumble growing slightly louder. The father looked up across the ridgeline and was greeted with 5,000 soldiers on horseback descending into the valley. The father and his son lived in the first house of the village, and the commanding general stopped, dismounted, and approached the door. The father answered the door. We are here looking for soldiers. We plan to fight in three days' time, and we know that you have a son. He's coming with us. 
The father opened the door further as to show the soldier the son in his bed. They both looked at the son and then back at each other. Calmly, the father protested. Sir, I would, but as you can see, my son has been badly hurt. He can't even tend to our field, nonetheless fight alongside you. You cannot take him. He's not fit to fight. Frustrated, the commander mounted his horse and rode off. The soldiers thundered back out of the valley, riding to what would be their death in one of the most bloody conflicts the region had ever seen. The townspeople gathered that night to eat, and seeing that the boy had been passed over, they came to the father. What a blessing that your son was left with you. How wonderful. The father calmly replied, I can't be sure. I think this story is summed up well by a quote from Alan Watts. The whole process of nature is an integrated process of immense complexity, and it's really impossible to tell whether anything that happens in it is good or bad, because you never know what will be the consequence of the misfortune, or you never know what will be the consequence of good fortune. I think this story is perfectly emblematic of reframing and detachment from circumstances, because you never truly know, nor will you ever be able to truly know exactly what is the outcome or the extended outcome of the things that are going to happen to or for you in your life. I think a common identified experience between most people, certainly not all, but most is that at some point in your life, you will go through a heartbreak. I personally have loved and lost and loved and lost again. And those moments have been extreme teaching points for myself. And even the experience of heartbreak itself is being highly identified with the circumstance. Someone has left your life and you're so tremendously focused on the now and the pain of not having them anymore, the reality that you're going to return to either strangers or never speak again. But the truth is, if you can detach from the circumstance and observe, and typically for most people, myself included in the past, it just takes time to get to this state, but eventually you can look at it objectively as an observer and say, oh, that person was there to teach me about myself or the things that I needed to learn in that moment or what I wanted out of a relationship, what I don't want out of a relationship, what I want in a partner, what I don't want in a partner. They were preparing me to be a better partner for the future, to be a better business person, to be a better whatever, a better version of me. But the truth is that everything in your life is that case. Everything can be taken as a point of learning and this is kind of the difference between your inner and outer purpose being realized. Regardless of the stage of your life and what you are doing, identifying with the action, your inner purpose, who you are being, who you are, your actual identity, the I, is always being realized. So examples from my life. When I was little, uh, I believe I was 10 years old, I had grown up playing sports. I played soccer and basketball. And in the winter, entering into my sixth grade year, I was playing basketball and one night when me and my friends and my brothers were in my basement, we were playing King of the Hill and I was on the top of the hill, so temporary king, I suppose, and we had kind of made the mound, the hill that we were all on top out of a bunch of piled up mats and couch cushions and everything and we had kind of a landing zone with blankets and pillows, so it was supposed to be a pretty padded safe environment but like I said in my basement and it was kind of unfinished so there was just a very thin layer of carpet over the concrete base layer of the floor so I was on top and I got grabbed by my right arm by one of my friends and he pulled me off and I braced to land with my left arm but right there in the middle of the landing zone that was supposed to be a cushy pillowy blankety space there was a nice little carve out which was just the carpet so I braced with my left arm 
all of my body weight and snapped clean both bones in my left arm. I ran upstairs screaming, arm flopping all over the place, had a third elbow in the middle of my arm. And so long story short, arm broken, entering into exiting out of basketball season and I'm out of commission for the remainder of the winter. And as I moved to the spring, it came to a decision point where tryout time was coming in the spring for all the respective sports teams. And typically it would have been like any other year, I would just move directly into playing soccer like I had before. But uniquely, the soccer team had a running fitness trial test. And because I was coming off of an injury and also because I was a chubby little kid, I didn't have the physical fitness probably to pass, nor did I even want to try to make a timed mile under whatever the time was to make it on the team. And our school was starting to have a lacrosse program for the first time that year. So they were just looking for kids to join. I had a couple friends that were going to try it out. And so I said, well, it doesn't have a run test. I think I'll try that this year. And then proceeded to play lacrosse for the next 12 years into college, even ending up being you know, a multiple-time team captain, playoff contender, playing in a national championship game. So the point is, in that moment, it was easy to be hurt, unprepared, upset about not being able to play soccer, not being able to play the basketball, being injured, being out of sports. But the truth was that my inner purpose was being realized the whole time. And now, connected to the observer state, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? We are all observers of the past, I can look back and see like, oh, clearly that was an inflection point meant for me to change sports and find this new passion for, you know, that period of my life. But it's emblematic of, like I said before, all of our life is always happening for your inner purpose to be realized. Life isn't happening to you. It's not, oh, these bad things have befallen me. Change the language that you use and say, life is happening for me. I just don't yet realize or see what exactly it is that is going to be the next stage for me. A second story, fast forward to me applying to universities in my senior year of high school. Looking all over the place, I was always a higher caliber student academically, so I was looking at higher caliber universities, but I also had no idea, as I'm pretty sure most 18-year-old kids do, what the heck I wanted to do with my life. I think it's an unfair decision to make an 18-year-old choose Your university choice has to somewhat be dictated by what you want to study, which is supposed to be eventually what you go on to do with your life. It's a lot of pressure to put on a kid who still doesn't know who they are. But I will digress on the higher education process. I was applying to colleges, looking all over the place. I was really drawn to places that didn't require you to declare a major immediately and something that fit the bill of academically rigorous and in the sunshine all the time and didn't ask me to declare my major was Stanford. So I had my sights set on Stanford. I was dead set on going. And even though I was the, I was the oldest kid of my family, so my parents made me apply to 14, 15 schools, which is absurd. You can only go to one. But regardless, I sent out a bunch of applications. Most of them were throwaways, but I was really certain and dead set on going to Stanford. Grew I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. So right down the road is Georgia Tech, you know, a top tier engineering university. And I was planning on studying engineering it regardless of what school I went to. But I, I heavily overlooked it. I, I applied because like I said, I threw 15 applications out there. It, it fit the bill, but I had no thoughts of going there. I didn't really want to, didn't explore it, didn't tour it. So I spent all spring waiting for Stanford to come back. 
Eventually, the answer is no, and now it's May time, and I have to declare for tech, and I describe it now as the best thing that never happened to me. Like I said, and choose to believe, life is happening for me, so had I gone there, it would have been fine, but I certainly know that the experiences that I went through and had at Georgia Tech, the ability to play collegiate lacrosse at a super competitive level, the, ab- the ability to be involved socially in a fraternity, to get leadership positions in that fraternity, eventually serving as president, to be able to go to the same university that my youngest brother eventually came into and share my senior year with his freshman year, to be able to stay regionally close to home, still have a sense of independence, but be able to see my parents. There's so many things I can be grateful for. It would take a whole podcast to list out why I was grateful for my college experience. But that was another moment where in the moment, and I do remember this, I was so hurt, so upset. Why not me? Life's unfair. Admittance process is rigged. Maybe my test score needed to be bigger. All these kinds of things that you can get caught up in if you're super identified and and your frame, back to the beginning, is tightly focused on the moment. I didn't get into college. Wah, wah, wah. But if you zoom out, you're still getting into a college. You're still going to go to college. And then you zoom further out. College is only a four-year window. You have the rest of your life ahead of you after that to pivot, to learn, to see infinite amounts of things outside of that. So that's the power of reframing your circumstances and choosing to zoom in, out, or completely pivot what you're deciding to see. Get out of that idea of tunnel vision, that narrow, tight shot, pan out, see the bigger picture, give yourself context for the shot. You're not just a character walking down the street, but you're con- you zoom out and it's a character walking down the street in New York and you zoom out, it's a character walking down the street in the United States. And then you zoom out and it's a character walking down the street on earth and you zoom out and then it's a tiny blue rock spinning around in space. People in business talk about, oh, let's circle back and take the 5,000 foot view. Let me explain this concept from the 3,000 foot view. It's a phrase that indicates perspective being important and framing complicated problems, whether it's business or your life, which is an extremely complicated, multivariate, intermingled, gray, messy beautiful problem and zooming out to try to give yourself some context to not be anxious to not be worried to not be tied down to the outcomes to not be super attached and so you take the 5,000 foot view to explain a business plan well take the 5,000 foot view in any moment that you feel anxious and worried zoom out and say who am I where am I when what am I doing right now that brings you to presence. It snaps you right there. I'm Zach. I'm recording this podcast in my room to be shared with the people that hear it in the future, hopefully sharing a lesson that's helped me to other people that it can help as well. And then zoom further out. I'm a young entrepreneur trying to build a business. Zoom out further. I'm a young kid moving towards becoming a father one day. Zoom out further. I'm just another guy living life, trying to figure it out. Zoom out further, it's just a human on earth, and then zoom out further, and then it's just the blue rock spinning in space. And you can define and assign whatever meaning, non-meaning you want to life, and that is more than a topic for another podcast that I'll probably eventually get into. But the point is, manipulating the frame that you see things in is one of the most powerful tools at your disposal because seeing things for how they are and choosing to define what the reality that passes through your frame is will give you the ability to define for yourself what life is. The phrase rose-tinted lenses, there's no reason that your frame shouldn't be a rose-tinted frame. You shouldn't look at everything 
as this is happening to me, it's happening for me. You could look at a project and say, it took me a whole week to get that done. I can't believe it was so tedious and I wasn't more efficient and I was worried. Or you could say, it only took me a week to get that done. I have so much more time ahead of me to take down the next task. I'm glad it didn't take longer. The reality hasn't changed. It took a week to do a thing. But the way that you talk to yourself about it, the way that you frame the circumstance in your mind decides how you may feel about it or choose to feel about it. That's pretty powerful. You're essentially reality bending. That's pretty unbelievable. I plan to do a podcast or at least speak on in the future the power of words and how we speak to ourselves and speak about things. But it's similar to the reframing, um, an example that I've tried to be disciplined in and I think is a, a rudimentary one, but powerful is good versus bad weather. If I say the weather outside is bad, you have an image in your mind of something. It is likely gray, rainy, slushy, cold, windy. And if I said the weather outside was beautiful, you might imagine sunshine, the beach, a cool breeze, hot sun on your skin, whatever that image is that comes to your mind. But the only reason that is so is because since you were little, people just called those circumstances good or bad weather, as opposed to just saying that they are the weather, that it is just happening, that the rain is equally beautiful and the cold is equally beautiful and choosing to be grateful for it. I talked obviously on the Thanksgiving episode and will kind of continually return to the power of gratitude because it is so present state. But the other day it was absolutely dumping rain outside. And as you can kind of see in the frame, I have my windows right here. I like to open up the window when it rains and just hear it coming down. But it was like downpour. And in the morning, I was doing my morning, my three morning gratitudes. And one of them was for the rain. And I'm somebody who hates the rain. I've grown up hating it, especially as an athlete. Hated practicing in the rain, the wet socks, drying out all your gear. Absolutely hated it. Hated walking to class in the rain. Hated getting wet socks on the way to the gym. Hated, I just hated it, right? Like it, it it's not quote-unquote ideal and if I could paint a perfect day and if I was playing God there wouldn't be rain but there is plenty to be thankful for instead of describing it as I'm trapped inside all day because of the rain I get to say I have a roof over my head that keeps me dry and because it's raining I I have the opportunity to be really focused and get a lot of work done today so that when it is not excuse me when it is different weather outside I can go out there and enjoy it and spend time in the sun and not worry about the work that I have to do because I got it done when it was rainy. So I'm trying in my life, and you even heard me catch myself right there, but I, I try now to describe weather as what it is. It, it is either rainy or sunny, not good or bad. Like I said, it seems rudimentary. It seems elementary. It seems annoying. It seems like you're playing semantics, but the words that you use to describe things change how they are. It was just like, like, like we were talking about before. Life is happening for you. The story is being told for you. You just don't necessarily know yet. Instead of relinquishing control, putting the loc like a term from psychology is locus of control. If you think that the control is outside of your hand, you have an external locus of control. It can lead to all sort of horrible downstream mental effects, depression, anxiety, all these things. But if you have an extremely high internal locus of control, an agentic worldview, a sovereign worldview, and you use the power of reframing, you are in control and it is very hard to be anxious or powerless 
when you realize that you are defining the reality that comes to you. I do recognize that this is starting to sound woo-woo. Hey, Zach, like the things are still happening. Like what happens when really, really bad shit happens? Can't you say that a rape or a death in the family or an accident is objectively bad? I think that there definitely are things that are very unfortunate to happen. And I can't speak to some of those circumstances in my life or the life of people I love. And so I have sensitivity to that for people experiencing out outside of myself. But I also know from speaking to people that have been through unbelievably traumatic things, things that I can barely even imagine, who have then also chosen to grab life and live a beautiful one, reframe their context into helping other people that have gone through troubles, telling their story. You always have a choice. If you are still alive, then the choice is yours how you see your reality. If you were to become hurt by someone, say you get broken up with or somebody talks shit about you, well, there is pain in the moment. A lot of that maybe you can't control. But if you continue to dwell on it, you let them burn you twice because you get the pain of it happening and then the pain afterwards of thinking about it happening. The reality is no longer that you're in physical pain. And, and some things need time and actual intentional healing to work through. Trauma specifically doesn't just go away. You have to work on it. You have to address it. You have to face it. All these things, therapy, etc. And that is the good and important work we all are called to depending on what our trauma is. But throwing your hands up and saying, nah, not for me. It sucks. This shit happened to me. I'm fucked up now. I have depression. I have PTSD. If you identify with those things, then those will continue to be your reality. But if you reframe your experience and say, what was this trying to teach me? What in this horrible, horrible, dark place was it trying to get me to see or be able to do or be able to think about in the future? I think that's when mental reframing can be really powerful, even in the darkest of times. And at the end of the day, there's an excellent quote from Conor McGregor. I'll clip it in right now. At the end of the day, you've got to feel some way. So why not feel unbeatable? Why not feel untouchable? Why not feel like the best to ever do it? You have to feel some type of way. You have to decide what you think about the things that happen to you. Reality is going to come into your frame and you have to make an assessment of it. So why not choose abundance, choose joy, choose presence, choose gratitude? Why not? If the choice is yours and you have to feel a certain type of way, then why not choose greatness? The, tr the truth is the reason people do is because it's a little bit harder. It takes a little bit more attention. You have to be a little bit more present. You have to wake up a little bit to choose those things. The passive route, the low vibrational energy, the lethargic is just things are happening and you observe them. And if somebody shows you something bad, it's bad. And you see the shitty headlines. So the world's fucked and everybody's hyped up on amphetamines and fucking SSRIs. And it's just this downward spiral of negativity, low vibration, non-presence and no control, no power. And everybody's just, you end up being sad because you never took the time to snap to reality. Who am I? Where am I? What am I doing? All right, now I'm present, aware. I'm right here. I'm me. How is this moment happening for me, not to me? But if you don't do that as a rigorous discipline over and over and over and over and over again, then you don't get to live an undefeatable life. You get to live a helpless life. And for me, I choose to feel unbeatable.
I recognize fully my, call it privilege, call it blessings, call it whatever. I have the ability to walk, the ability to talk. I don't look like a total gremlin. I have a body that I can continue to train rigorously and develop. I have a mind that is strong and sharp and learning and the ability to learn, articulate my thoughts, share it with other people, a bed to sleep in, all of these amazing things that not everybody gets access to. It's why I feel called to use that platform to do something meaningful to hopefully help other people take control of their lives. So I do recognize that it may be easy for me to say, I guess I'm playing devil's advocate here on this solo podcast. This is no one to keep me accountable, but me, you're sitting on the other end of it, but yeah, you don't know my circumstance, man. Like my dad beat the shit out of me as a kid, or, you know, my sister got raped when she was young and that is hard fucking shit. Like, I'm not going to say that those aren't problematic, but I am going to say that if you made it out alive, you can do great. Iman Gaji, ex- excellent example, came from an alcoholic abusive father. He's 22 years old, a millionaire. He's building schools in Nepal. Extremely inspirational guy because he fucking chose to make a difference. At 16 years old, he was reading every book he could get his hands on. He was developing himself, building a company to build him money to free him and his mother from his father. And there are so many examples like that of ordinary people becoming extraordinary because of a choice that I choose to live in a world where more people can do that and believe that everyone has the capacity to do so. If you want to relinquish the reins and say, that's not for me or my story's different, then you will remain the same and you will live a life of scarcity, of lack of control, anxiety, depression. But my encouragement is that if any of this has offended you or prodded at something or yeah, but I'm different yet, why? It's a powerful question. I've talked about it before. Ask yourself why. Answer that question. Literally fucking ask yourself the question why. Write it down on a piece of paper, your answer to the why. Whatever that answer ends up coming down to. All right. Ask again. Why? Ask again. Why? And as you answer and then ask again, you'll eventually get down to what is core truth with a capital T. And a lot of times you're going to get to a place where it's I didn't fucking do the work or I haven't tried anything differently. Fitness is obviously an easy place to return to. If you are in bad shape, it is because you haven't done the things to get in good shape. doesn't matter if you were raised in a home with bad food or you were abused and you used food for coping or you developed an eating disorder or you don't have access to good food, you don't have money, you don't have what... The truth is you haven't exhausted all the effort that you could. If you can't get access to a gym, use gravity at your disposal and do bodyweight exercises. If you are too out of shape to do that, walk. If you're too out of shape to do that, crawl. There are things that you can do to fix your situation. There is always an opportunity for control. I choose to believe that. I recognize that it is a statement of belief. I'm not going to posit it as a universal fact. I've observed it and I have plenty of evidence to believe that it is a universal fact. And I will continue to do so until that opinion or belief is disproven, but it certainly makes my life a lot more colorful. I feel a lot more powerful and I encourage you to adopt it because I have been on the other side in these individual moments and even for periods of my life where I feel like I'm being completely overwhelmed. There's too much going on. I don't know what to do. Why am I here? No one really cares about me. I feel so alone. All of those things I felt it and I 
what I feel now is so wildly different. I can't imagine choosing to go back. And when I look at where I was then physically and look, look at where I am now physically, the circumstances were not wildly different. It was just my attitude about them, my frame, the literal frame that I chose to look at, quote unquote, objective reality through. I was looking through a cracked lens, foggy, scratched up, too narrow, and now I choose to look with a widescreen, rose-tinted, undefeatable mindset and view of what's happening to me, and I encourage you to adopt the same because you have to, because you have to feel some type of way, so why not feel undefeatable? I encourage you to practice mental reframing as much as you can. It's often gonna be some sort of dialogue when you catch yourself trying to describe circumstances as happening to you, decide that it is happening for you. Don't try to label things as good or as bad. Try to identify with the observer, observe it as this is, and we will see where it goes. Be like the farmer and say, I can't be sure because the truth is you can't be sure until you've already seen it. Nothing is fixed until it is past. The future is uncertain. The present is the only place we are. And then the past is written. We can only look back on the past and say something was definite. And even then it was colored by our perception. The future we have no control over until Elon or somebody figures out time travel. That leaves us here right now. You and me in this moment. Who are you? Where are you? What are you doing? Ask yourself that. Sit in the silence. And now you're here with me in the moment. And from here, I encourage you to join me in choosing a colorful, beautiful frame for life. That's all for this week. If you made it this far, I encourage you to share the podcast with one person you think might find it valuable. If you want to follow myself, you can follow myself at Z-D-S-C-H-E-N-K-E-N on Twitter and Instagram. I'm being a lot more active on Twitter. It's super fun. Uh, I feel like I don't have to have a filter on there. Maybe that's a mistake, but I'm really enjoying it. So if you want to get more of my opinions on a regular basis, I'm on Twitter. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe. Haven't done that call to action once, but subscribe because I've already committed to a minimum of a podcast a week for the rest of this year and excited to roll out some new types of content soon. So that's exciting. Stay tuned. If any of this resonated with you and you're a man looking to take control of your life, learn some of these tools and more, join men doing the same, message me on any of the platforms. I have a men's self-mastery program, the Vitruvian Man program. I would be happy and honored to see if you'd be a good fit. And if you are, get you rolling with some of the men taking change in their life and making 2023 the best year yet. Hopefully yours is off to a killer start. I know my first week has been awesome. I hope yours has been the same. That is all for this week. Remember your time and attention are your most valuable resources. So thank you for spending a little of them with me this week. Memento Mori, and I will talk to you on the next episode of the Retrieving Man podcast. And if he fails, at least fails while daring greater. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat.